This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression, and this podcast aims to share it all. From personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. On this episode, we have another story of a mom who experienced postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety and postpartum OCD symptoms, as well as some rage symptoms. And a lot of us who've been through this have experienced one or a combination of all of these, if not all of them, in our own journey. And specifically for us who are mental health providers and clinicians, it's really hard when we are dealing with things on our own that we can't necessarily recognize even as a mental health provider. I have that experience and Rosalinda had that experience as well. Postpartum depression and anxiety can really take you by surprise, even if you know what to look out for. And especially if you're not sure what's going on. Rosalinda is sharing her story with us today. She's a licensed clinical social worker. She received her bachelor's in social work from West Texas A&M University in 2006, then master's degree from Baylor University School of Social Work in 2008. She has spent the last 12 years working as a mental health and suicide prevention social worker for the Department of Veteran Affairs. In her experience, she became aware of the lack of support for new mothers who are struggling with mental health. She created a postpartum support group for mothers in her community, and that has been running since 2017. She's also started a virtual postpartum support group within the VA for female veterans. She's here today to share her story and share her message that wanting to know that anyone who's experiencing this is not alone and it is not their fault, and that they can go through this struggle and come out stronger with the right type of support and treatment. So let's meet Rosalinda and hear her story. Uh, welcome, Rosalinda. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, always grateful for people who are coming on to share their personal experience because it's so, even though we might be all going through something similar, there's so many factors that go into each person's story that make it unique for them. And um, so I think it's important to hear all aspects as much as possible. So let's go ahead and start with your story wherever you'd like to. 
Okay. So my story begins, I guess it was seven years ago, <laughs> a little prior to that. So I, a little background, I've, I've been working in mental health for 12 years. And so prior to my pregnancy with my daughter, I was working in a mental health clinic and uh, working with patients, you know, dealing with depression, anxiety, PTSD, all of those things, but I hadn't had a lot of experience with patients or, or anyone with uh, postpartum depression. So I got pregnant with my daughter. She was due in August of 2015. So I think late 2014 is when we found out. And mm -hmm. I had really wonderful pregnancy, really couldn't complain. I didn't have any, any issues with my mental health during that time, other than I think the normal worry and a little bit of anxiety mm -hmm. with being a first time mom. It was my first pregnancy, first time mom. Right. So that went wonderful. My husband has two older children. And so he's kind of been through the process before, but all of it was brand new to me. So once I had my daughter, you know, then came the, the changes with the hormones and the breastfeeding and, and all of this. And mm -hmm. it was difficult. Of course, she had colic. So mm -hmm. that's around two weeks. And we had some breastfeeding difficulty as well. So there was already a little bit of added stress, I believe. We did come to find out that she had a dairy intolerance um, oh. and afflux. How did so you find that out? We just kept um, going to the doctor because of her colic, you know, her she would just cry and cry and scream for hours and hours mm. and nothing could soothe her when she was nursing. She was happy, but other than that, she was crying. And so, you know, I didn't know what was normal and what wasn't with a first baby, but my right. husband, I don't think that's normal. <laughs> my two boys were, you know, screaming this much. And so he would go with me and we'd ask, and we ended up just doing a simple stool sample from her, which oh, okay. is it's a really easy indicator to find out for the milk um, protein allergies, what it was. Mm. And so we found that out pretty early on. So I became dairy free for about 10 months and that helped a little bit. We also started chiropractic care when mm -hmm. she was six weeks old, because I've heard that that helps for digestive issues. And even the colic has a name and a diagnosis, there really isn't a, a set set of symptoms and there's right. no treatment. So right. at that point, we were just trying anything we could to soothe her, to right. make her happy, to, you know. <laughs> anything that would improve. And so we saw a little bit of improvement with that, but it still took a while. She was dairy-free for 10 months. And I think her colic started going away around four months. And by five months, she was pretty happy. Oh, okay, so good. That initial first, you know, four months was pretty rough for all yeah. of us. Yeah. That's a uh, long time when there's a, a baby crying a lot. It is. And, you know, we kept telling the pediatrician, there's something wrong. She's uncomfortable. She's crying. Like, mm -hmm. and she would say, I promise, I promise it's colic. If you give it time, like it should go away, it'll get better. You know, my husband was pushing for like, let's go see the, like a pediatric gastro doctor because mm -hmm. something is not right. And she said, you know, let's wait a few months. If she doesn't outgrow it, then we'll, we'll get to the specialist. We'll do more tests. We'll figure it out. But she was convinced, you know, it's colic. She, it will, with time, it'll get better. If it doesn't, then we'll move on to fine. What else is wrong? Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. 
And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. So thankfully with the things that we did try, I mean, it was manageable for those four months, but it was hard emotionally and mentally on all of us. So I think that was a big factor that I didn't see coming as a first time mom. And I was able to breastfeed and nurse her for 22 months. So we got, you know, we got past the struggle, but initially Mm -hmm. it was a struggle with the the dairy issue, you know, and even latching issues Mm -hmm. and that thing. And so that was another added stress that I didn't know what to expect or what was normal. Right. So getting through that as well. I took 10 weeks off of work. So I was at home with her Mm -hmm. for the weeks. My husband went back to work, I think after a week and a half. So, but by week two, her colic was full set and it was every day crying and stress. So initially, you know, I started off as just being very tearful and crying a lot. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure what was hormones and what wasn't. She would cry and I would cry. And my husband, I think felt just lost. He didn't Mm -hmm. know what to help either of us. Yeah. And I just chalked it up to hormones you know, the postpartum period, the baby blues. I remember leaving the hospital, labor and delivery went, you know, really well, no complications. But I remember being, um, the only question being asked before I left the hospital was, are you having any suicidal thoughts or are you having any thoughts of wanting to harm your baby? Um, And that was a no. And I want to say when I went back, you know, after the six weeks, I remember going and seeing My provider was out on a delivery, so I saw a nurse practitioner Mm -hmm. and she asked how things were going. And I kind of was just like, well, it's okay, but my baby has colic. And she was like, oh my goodness, bless your heart. She said, I'm going to give you a hug. And she gave me a hug. Um, I don't remember being asked or screened or questioned about Mm -hmm. any of my mental health, my emotional health or anything that was most physically checking up on me. But I remember the, just like the sense of relief or something I felt when she asked me. She gave me that little hug and she left the room and I just cried. And I thought, gosh, this really has been hard for her to acknowledge that for me. So even at six weeks, you know, I still didn't realize that I was dealing with postpartum depression. Just a higher needs baby was stressful. And I think people were acknowledging that struggle for me, but it wasn't really until I went back to work that I figured things, it was something more. I continued with the crying and feeling emotional and very 
almost like I just couldn't control my emotions very well. I had a lot of I had a lot of worry and I knew being a, a new mom, worrying is normal, but I'd never really experienced anxiety until uh-huh. I had a baby. Right. And so it was that every time I would leave her, I would feel that anxiety and mm-hmm. having to go back to work really triggered a lot of that, I think. Yeah. So I started to recognize, you know, I, I'm a mess. I can't juggle this. I'm I'm overwhelmed. And I had a really close friend who had a baby seven weeks prior to me. I also had another close friend that had a baby two weeks prior. And so one of them was having her baby had reflux. Um, Mm -hmm. She was having a little bit of depression as well. And so I remember talking to her and telling her when I went back to work, like I'm here in my office and I can't stop crying. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's wrong with me. And she was the first one that suggested, you know, maybe you should, maybe you should call your primary care doctor. Make an appointment, go talk to them. And so that day I did, and I got in. It was a Friday afternoon. And I remember going to go pick up my daughter. And I told my mom, you know, I was crying and I said, I I think I have postpartum depression. And she said, Well, typically that those people don't develop bonds with their baby or they have thoughts of wanting to hurt their baby. Okay. (laughs) And that's kind of all I had heard of postpartum depression as well. Sure. Yeah. You either want to hurt your baby or you don't form that bond. And for me, it was quite the opposite. I was like overly attached. I had that anxiety and being away from her was just really super anxiety ridden for me and very hard. And so I thought, well, maybe she's right. I don't know. But I went to the doctor that day and I ended up just doing a simple depression screening that, you Mm -hmm. know, a little piece of uh, paper, maybe a dozen questions. And I was crying through the whole thing because I'm like, yes, 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 this is me. What was hard about that, though, is that I working in mental health, being a therapist, I do those screenings with patients day in, day out. And so I know what depression looks like for other people and anxiety. But Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I saw that paper in front of my face that I realized, oh, my gosh, I think I have this. Right, right. Um, I didn't know. I didn't realize it in myself Mm -hmm. that I had all of those checkbox symptoms. You know, I was having depression having the anxiety. Later, I would come to learn with my own, you know, researching that I had some OCD as well. And so that day, you know, she, I got started on medication for depression and, and anxiety and, and I felt a sense of relief. And I remember seeing the diagnosis in, you know, on the paper and in the chart mm-hmm. of postpartum depression and that it just clicked for me. I was like, oh, like I felt a sense of relief because it had a name and so right. I had a diagnosis. And so right. I'm like, that's what's wrong with me. I'm not going crazy. Right, right. That's quite a relief. <laughs> it was. Um, yeah. I wonder too if like how you were saying what you had heard about postpartum depression was this other thing and you knew that you didn't really feel that way, what it was like to then hear or realize that you were experiencing postpartum depression. Like, yes, the relief, but like based on what you had heard before, did, did that um, shade any of that relief? It was just, I think, kind of confusing and muddled for me because I didn't Mm -hmm. know I'd never really had depression or anxiety. And Mm -hmm. so seeing that diagnosis and going, okay, well, but this isn't what I've typically heard. So what does it entail? So that just kind of prompted me to do a lot of research on my Mm -hmm. own. And when I came across the websites and in Instagram pages and stuff, and I started looking into it myself and going, Mm -hmm. okay, well, I didn't realize that all of this was part of postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety. And so, you know, once I started looking into it and the specifics of it, it made a lot more sense to me. Yeah. And working, you know, with mostly males, I didn't screen for postpartum depression. I hadn't heard of that really much in my professional life. And then no one really talked to me about it before or well during pregnancy or, or anything after other than 
suicidal thoughts, thoughts of harming your child. Mm -hmm. So those weren't on my list. And so I had kind of pushed it to the back of my mind. But once I got diagnosed, I started researching and noticed, you know, realizing, hey, this is a real thing and how common it is. Yeah. And realizing that, okay, this has happened to me. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, I felt like less than as a mother, right? Because I'm like, well, I'm not a normal mom because I have this postpartum issue, Mm -hmm. this anxiety. And it took me a long time to just figure out. Actually, it took me meeting a lot of other moms that dealt with the same thing. Oh, okay. And those moms were talking about it and sharing? Yes. And so the only, actually, the only way I reached out is we have a local area mom group. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with mental health. It's just all things mom. And I think I had reached out there just asking, hey, has anyone struggled with postpartum depression? And I had one person reach out to me and message me and she said, hey, I'm a, I'm a mental health advocate. I, you know, I suffered with this with my son and I'm mm-hmm. here to talk. And so really this one person reaching out and telling me like, hey, this is a real thing. I suffered from it. I help other moms with it. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I got connected with other moms. And so, you know, having to reach out on my own and find that person. And then after that, you know, I just started talking to other people about it. I would bring Mm. up this when I had friends that were having children, I would ask them. And that's what I realized is that people weren't asking me. Mm. Nobody asks you how you're doing after the baby as far as your mental health. And so it all started to make sense. But, you know, it took months and months for me to figure this out. So I think I went 10 or 12 weeks before I started medication, probably, you know, around the same time before I met someone a little longer before I met someone that had dealt with it personally and who Mm -hmm. was like, Hey, I'm here. And so, you know, I felt really alone at first because it was just me and my diagnosis. I had one, you know, a supportive friend and I didn't really tell anybody either. I wasn't talking to my family or my husband or a lot of my friends about it because I was almost shameful or embarrassed. Mm. Like they didn't know at all. No. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I just had one really close friend and a coworker that I would kind of share with and they were supportive and they would be there for me. But a lot of people didn't know. And I didn't talk about it. And because for a long time, I just thought, well, something's wrong with me. These other people, they have it so easy and their babies are easy and mine's really hard and they seem happy and their marriage isn't being affected and mine is falling apart. You know, all these areas of my life that I felt inadequate. And so I didn't want to admit that, or I didn't want to really talk about it. So, you know, keeping my circle very small of trying to figure out what was going on and who I could talk to. And so from there, once I finally met someone and once I got on medication and started to get a little more clear headed, once my daughter's call it cleared up a little bit, I remember her at, you know, between five and six months as being like when I really got to start enjoying motherhood. I remember feeling happy then and enjoying it. And I felt like prior to that, you know, that my depression was kind of stealing all of the that those joyful moments because the yeah. depression anxiety took over. So I would say around five or six months is when things started to change a little bit. My medication had kicked in and my daughter's colic was getting better. And so I remember feeling being able to enjoy motherhood a little bit more. You know, she was giggling, she was reaching for her toes, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. And I remember just being happy, happier at that moment. I would say the crying spells got better, you know, with that depression that I was going through of uh, just having no energy and feeling down and crying all the time. It kind of got better. But then I, I was still having a lot of anxious thoughts, a lot of anxiety, a lot of mm-hmm. I guess overly attachment to my baby. And I still had a lot of those intrusive thoughts that people don't talk about as well. All right. Right. Those are really tough. That is tough. <laughs> and I want to say 
I don't even remember when I started therapy, mm-hmm. but uh, I decided I needed to start therapy. I, you know, I had kind of gotten back and forth with a couple of doctors on medications and finally- like trying different medications. Yes. So it would oh, work okay. for a while, a few uh-huh. months or a year. And then, you know, I would switch it up and, and she was probably maybe a year. And my primary care at that time was like, you know, I really think you need to be referred to a psychiatrist. I think they need to manage the medications and really figure that out because that's their specialty. And being in the mental health field, it should have been fine, but I kind of had another freak out moment of, no, I don't need to see a psychiatrist. I'm not crazy. I I don't need that. And I I had a breakdown with my friend who works in mental health and she says, Mm -hmm. it's going to be fine. And it was the best decision because he really understood what I, my symptoms with the current and the issues with the current medications. And when you're nursing, you know, there's limited options as well. So, Mm -hmm. and then from there, he was like, you know, I really think that you should get into therapy as well. And that was really, really life-changing for the anxiety. Oh, good. Those intrusive thoughts and just that excessive worry and that those things that go on in your mind that you can't tell other people that you can't stop. Yeah. Um, therapy is such a good way, a healthy way to to get that out and try to decipher what's reality and what's what's your anxiety, what's your depression that's lying to mm-hmm. you. And what are some some ways to to change your way of thinking and, you know, combat those negative thoughts. And that's hard to do. Even if you work in the mental health profession, it's hard yeah. to do on your own. Yep. You can't, can't do therapy for yourself. So uh-huh. having that outsider perspective, having, she was a mom, she was a younger therapist with young children. She was a mom trained in her therapy. You know, it just really helped me connect with her. And um, she had great ideas that I would have never even thought of. Though so something even as simple as I was on my depression medication, the baby was sleeping mostly through the night or a year. And she was like, I said, I'm still just so tired. I'm so fatigued. And she said, are you sleeping? I said, well, yeah. The baby wakes up to nurse, you know, a couple of times, but she said, well, do you wake up other times throughout the night? And I said, actually I do because I have her monitor turned all the way up. It's right next mm-hmm. to my bed. Anytime she makes a little noise, anytime she rolls over, anytime she does anything, I'm wide awake. Yep. And so she said, how many times are you waking up a night? And three or four. And I said, I don't know, probably 10 or 12. Yeah. Said, That's why you're so tired because you're not really getting full sleep. You're not sleeping throughout the night. And that was mm-hmm. part of my anxiety, right? I'm like, she's in the other room. I need to be able to hear. And just something as simple as her saying, you know, let's try turning down the baby monitor to very, very low. She said, is, you know, is your baby close enough in the house where if she wakes up and actually cries, you can hear her. And I said, oh mm-hmm. yeah, we have a small house at the time. I said, I can hear her clear across the house if she wakes up. She said, okay, so let's turn the monitor down and see how that works. And just that suggestion, it was a simple suggestion that she came up with, but it helped me <laughs> because yeah, right. I, like, I can actually sleep now. That's awesome. It's a game changer too. Uh, yes. And that was. <laughs> so yeah, it was a journey of just finding different techniques mm-hmm. in you know, the therapy helped, the medication helped. And Mm -hmm. then finding my group of moms, what I, from my one friend I met online, she Mm -hmm. had a Facebook group and she was like, Hey, come visit our little postpartum Facebook group. And so I did got, you know, met a few other moms from there. And that really kind of started my brain thinking like, why do we not have anything? Why are there no services for moms? Why is there not support groups or, you know, anything available like this if people aren't talking about it. And so I decided I was just going to come up with a support group. I thought, there you go. I know it's needed. I'm a licensed social worker. Like I know how to do groups, psychoeducational groups, support groups, peer groups, any of that. And so I started up one and that's been going since 2017, I believe. Oh, nice. So, yep, yep. That's great. 
Yeah. So just the, um, you know, the anxiety, the depression, the intrusive thoughts, all of these mm-hmm. things that, that nobody talks about. I, I started talking about that with people and I started asking questions and asking moms and figuring out how they were doing because that's what I needed. And so I wanted to right. provide what I didn't have. Before. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so like as a facilitator of a group, were you, did you feel like that was helpful in hearing other people's stories too, just to yeah. more realize even more deeply your own experience? Sure. And, and you know, what I realized is that everybody coming through those doors, first off, getting to tell your story and having someone validate that it was your story and it, yes, it's been hard. Right. It's healing itself. You know, it's therapeutic just to sit down with a group of people mm-hmm. who have been there and who understand. And they, 100%. Yep. You can tell them your story and go, this is what I experienced. And they go, gosh, you know, that sounds like it's been really hard. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you made it through. And that is just, that just means a lot. It does. And it's, It's like a relatively simple thing, but it's massive in terms of like how much we need that when we're going through something like this. And I resonate with your story in a lot of ways that had kind of a a similar trajectory. And that like hearing and seeing that it's a real thing is, and that other people validate your experience. It's amazing how healing that is. It is. It just knowing that you're not alone is is so mm-hmm. big in this thing mm-hmm. called a motherhood. So other people that I felt like I was less than or I something was mm-hmm. wrong with mm-hmm. your I was broken because I had this issue, but I wasn't. And it's so common and there's so many other moms that struggle with the same yeah. the same. And so it made me feel normal, made me feel heard and mm-hmm. seen. And we did that for each other and it is just really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. You definitely need that for healing. And I think for a lot of people like, you know, sharing in a group setting or being in that it's vulnerable, you feel vulnerable sharing this, you're not quite sure how people are going to hear it or experience you or all the things that you know, that I think the shame part that you were talking about that you had felt earlier, um, when you were talking about, uh, like not wanting to tell people, it really takes a while to kind of come out of your shell and see if there's a safe space. It does. I mean, you're afraid of judgment and you're mm-hmm. afraid of, you know, of, of feeling like a failure. There's just a lot of, you know, a lot of moms are afraid they're going to take my baby away if I tell them these mm-hmm. intrusive thoughts that I'm having. There's a lot of reasons, you know, that people don't share their, you do feel very vulnerable. And when you feel like you're one of the only ones, it's scary. It's a scary place to be in. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And the, the more you were saying earlier, that like worry that people would see you as a, or you'd see yourself as a bad mom or one of those moms who, whatever the, the stereotype is of postpartum depression and mothers, that worry is, is a real worry because some people don't understand it. A lot of people don't understand it. It's like they don't know how to deal with it, I guess. You were saying before, like even your, within your family, there was a certain perception of what postpartum depression is you don't want your family thinking those things about you. Right. And e- even with a spouse, it's hard because he, you know, he had no idea what was going on with me. Right. right. Didn't either for a while, but it was still, it's was, there was just a huge disconnect of trying to have him understand what my struggle was and what's going on. And, you know, for people, some people to even believe that there is a such thing as postpartum depression. Right. Right. Ooh, did you come across that? People <laughs> who just totally denied it? Well, I think people were just more of, this is normal, it'll pass, let's be mm-hmm. blue, temporary, it's fine. Which I could understand in the early stages, but mine, you know, it, it took a good two years to really get back to a healthy 
mental place for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And after a lot of (laughs) help from therapists and my doctor, my social group, all of that. And it took a real toll on my marriage too. Mm -hmm. I think my husband was clueless. He didn't have a clue what to do. One other symptom I had, my depression or anxiety, they both, you know, can manifest as anger. And I a lot of times was an angry person and very on edge. And that is the opposite of my personality. Right. And so trying to figure that out as well, why am I so angry or short tempered or had those issues before? And then you think that makes you a bad mom because you're frustrated. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the harder ones for like people to understand and to know that how to understand your experience of it is really difficult for others. And like you are also having a hard time understanding your experience. There are ways in which it, like you're saying, it's not like you and it doesn't make sense necessarily that you who are not an angry person are all of a sudden feeling that. For you, did it get to a point of like that really intense ragey feeling? It did. It did. And that was kind of in the middle of a medication transition for me. And it was a very, very scary event that just was like, whoa, okay, this is not me. And I remember being a little bit on edge sometimes being like, why am I getting frustrated or angry with my baby who doesn't know any better? But also I say one of my biggest triggers was my husband. And for months, you know, I thought it's just him. He's the problem. And we had a big blow up one night when I was in kind of a medication transition and I just exploded at him and like I've never done before. And I Mm -hmm. could have sworn that if I had a knife in my hand, I almost would have stabbed him. And it was just very out of character. And I thought, my gosh, I have never been like that upset or felt rage. Mm -hmm. And I don't even remember what it was about. But, you know, I just felt that loss of control of my emotions. And I remember just feeling like, okay, this is very scary. I've never felt this way before. I don't know what's Mm -hmm. going on. The medication I was on at the time was, it didn't work out to be very well. But that was, Mm -hmm. that was actually when I transitioned to see the psychiatrist because the primary care. Like, okay, this was a big thing for you saying, hey, this is my red flag. This medication's not working. I'm this making my rage worse. My anger, it went from irritability, you know, and short tempered to just almost ragey. And that was just not me. And so, yeah, that was my big clue of I need to change medications and get that under control. Yeah. Yeah. That is scary. I mean, having that really intense feeling. It's hard to know what to do with it too. Because it's I'm, as I have experienced it also, and what I hear from a lot of people is it's like a whole body thing. It's not just like you have a thought or something, your whole body is just like vibrating. Yes. And I do remember having those a couple of times and just feeling, like I said, where I was out of uh, lost control of my emotions and it was anger. It was rage. It was panic attack. It was just, I remember driving feeling like that one time. And I thought, okay, I shouldn't be driving like this because it's very dangerous Mm -hmm. to be in this state of mind. I was, it was scary. It's very Mm -hmm. scary. And that's the kind Mm -hmm. of things you don't want to tell people about. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It is hard to talk about. And, you know, like when you're having that really intense anger feeling with these kind of intrusive thoughts coming along with it, like, obviously you would never hurt your husband. And that is, but the feeling is as if you could. It's it's hard in the moment to like reconcile that because then afterwards, after like that anger comes down, all like the shame spiral usually comes after. Exactly. Because I felt so embarrassed. Like that is not me. I'm so sorry that I let my emotions get like that. And I felt out of control. And I'm so sorry that, yeah, it just wasn't me. And then you do feel shameful and you feel, you know, embarrassed by that. And of course you don't want to tell anybody. And yeah, 
When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. And I remember telling, going to the psychiatrist for the first time and just crying and telling him like, this is how I've been feeling. This is not me. I've got to do something about it. Right. And he knew what to do right away, thankfully. So that's right. That's that's so good. That's so good. So you have this uh, like really deep and painful internal experience and it's having these repercussions in your marriage, but at the same time, you have the support of other people uh, who maybe, maybe understand it maybe don't like fully like you know why why it's happening and all that and it can feel i imagine or it could have felt really difficult to have a safe place somewhere else and to not like feel that at home not like it was unsafe but just that like the intense feeling towards your husband yeah and i just thought you know he was the issue he was my trigger mm-hmm. and it really took probably a good 2 years to where when i finally got you know, very stable and just very healthy. And and I could look back, I was like, wow, I think I was a lot of the issue, a lot Mm -hmm. of the issue, me and my internal struggle. And, and I feel bad for those two years of thinking that my husband was the problem, but he, it was hard on us. And that was another thing that was felt shameful, you Mm -hmm. know, like babies and their marriages are flourishing and they're all in fantasy land over their new baby. And we're over here in our house, all of us just trying to breathe. Like it's tense in this environment that we're in right now with the, you know, a colleague baby and unstable wife and a a husband who's clueless Mm -hmm. about what Mm -hmm. to do either of us. It was just a really, really hard, it was a hard season for all of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you, you kind of also alluded to like, feeling and seeing that other people are having like are flourishing and not having any difficulties at all. Uh, so I, I assume that was outside of the group of women that you found to be close with. Where were you seeing all of this flourishing life? So it's mostly just what you see online. I have Facebook and Instagram and seeing all of these people that have their babies and they seem happy and their family seems happy and they seem to have it all together, which was, you know, when you struggle, then you feel like even more of a failure or a disappointment. Mm-hmm. And you feel, why does everybody have their life together? And why does it look so easy from the outside? And some people like me are over here struggling. It's so hard. I don't know about you, but you know, when you're 
already feeling this like, you know, internal difficulty. And then you're going online, you're either like most often at home, maybe sometimes at work or whatever, but you're in the environment where you feel the, like the most tense and most uh, difficulty while you're looking online at people who are like seemingly having the time of their life. Sure. That is really hard to, again, it makes you feel more like you're the only one in the whole world that is struggling with this. And why are you failing when everyone else is, seems to be having a great time? People do not post or comment or share things that are scary or difficult. Mm -hmm. People don't talk about it near enough. And so right. what you read, you know, is, is usually positive and nobody's sharing these things, even though it's so, so common. And it took me a long time to figure out exactly how common it is mm -hmm. to people with part of mood disorder. Right. It's, it's sort of shocking how common it is in contrast with how little support people get and how little people really know about it. I think in part to like, you know, what you're describing as your experiences is so internal for, for some time and you have to get sort of the right providers or right friends or somebody who knows something about it to support you in the right direction. Right. And, and yeah, and I even think just for months and months, it was still just, you know, a very small circle of people that knew about it. Mm -hmm. And then I slowly met other moms who were dealing with it and got to relate to them. And that was so healing, you know, for me and for them to realize mm -hmm. that this is common. We're all struggling and there's mm -hmm. a lot of us that have the same experience and that talking about it helps, you know, it helps everybody feel normal. It helps us to realize that we're still good moms and mm -hmm. we love babies just as much as someone who doesn't have a postpartum mood disorder. Absolutely. Um, our experience is different, but still we're still worthy and we're still just as good of moms. So that was, that was kind of a hard concept to get through, but then I love helping other people realize that, you know, that mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with you and it's okay to have this and it's very common and you know, right. you're still doing a great job. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Like, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, when you're in it, that doesn't feel true. But like you said before, when you look back on it, you can see all the ways in which you were, were a good mom. You can see all the ways in which you struggled too. But in the moment, it's really hard to feel that you're still a good mom. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I love your message to parents and I hear how passionate you are about making sure they, they understand that. And so you're doing that. You're doing that within your community. Um, can you say a little bit uh, about, you know, that group? And I know it's been going for a bit, but. Yeah. So, you know, I just had the idea that, hey, I want to start something in person. Mm -hmm. And I actually reached out to another friend who was a, also a social worker in the community. And she had a, a child shortly after me. And we got to talking and figured out that we had both had the same struggle. Mm -hmm. And I know I really want to do something. I want to provide something in the community. So her and I kind of teamed up. With our resources, we found a facility and we just put it together. And I had told her, I don't care if I have to do it out of my house. Like I'm going <laughs> to a group where women can come and we can talk about this. But we mm -hmm. found a place that let us use their facility for free for years, which is so nice. And we just kind of put the word out there on our Facebook pages and in our mom groups, you know, for the local community. And so it ended up being, you know, four of us that were two clinical social workers you know, and two that were mental health advocates and moms with similar experiences. And we formed this in-person group and we do it every month. And for the okay. first few months, it was just my friend and I, which was still beneficial because we would come and talk and yep. share with each other. But once we started getting participants, it was just, you know, it was great. And mm -hmm. 
it goes through phases because we get moms that have new babies and then the babies get older. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, every few months or every year or so, then we get a new group of moms. And it's just so fulfilling to just be that person in that moment to say, you know, welcome, we're here for you. And we try to just get word of mouth really through, you know, social media. And then we've got um, contacts at like the pediatrician's office and the Mm -hmm. OBN's office that will hang up our group flyers. And so we have people that come in and say, well, I, I saw your group flyer at my pediatrician's office. And so I decided to come check it out. And so we've had lots of moms in and out over the years. And it's been great. It's been really, really great just getting to share that with moms and help them through that. And I get to snuggle babies. And so that's <laughs> one of my favorite parts of it. For sure. <laughs> so we started that and it's been going strong. Like I said, I think 2017 is when we started it because yeah. daughter was not quite two yet. She was still still mm-hmm. pretty young. And so we started that and, you know, some months we'll have one person show up and some months mm-hmm. we'll have, you know, 10 people show up. And so we just provided that safe space. We, given my background in social work, you know, sometimes we're just doing mom to mom talk. Let's talk about life. How's it going? Who's teething? Who's dealing with in-law issues? You know, how's <laughs> right. work? that, but sometimes it's, you know, educational. And so I will pick a group topic, anything from how to manage your anxiety, coping tools, setting boundaries with families, how postpartum can affect your marriage, you know, dealing with depression and recognizing signs of that, giving resources for therapists or medication providers in the community, just information and knowledge and experience really is, is what it's all about and just bringing moms together. And so that has been a really joyful thing in my life for the last few years. That's great. That's a lot of others. Yeah, I'm I'm sure you have. And it is such a valuable resource, especially in a community where people feel it's close to them. They can come in person, they can bring their babies. And of course, that's a benefit to you too. The baby snuggles. (laughs) The baby snuggles are great. We we bring snacks. We always have chocolate. Yeah. We say kids and babies are welcome. And so Mm There's no, you know, barriers. If you need to bring your baby, if you need to nurse your baby during group, mm-hmm. if you need to bring your toddler and have them run around and let me hold your baby and you just take a break, sort of environment, it's just, it is good to meet other moms and to hug someone and, you know, just say for you. And so it's been really positive and we've helped a lot of moms. I just love it. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Rosalinda, for coming on and sharing your story. And as I said before, I can relate to some of the experience that you had. And I know that a lot of other people will and find healing in that as well. So thank you so much. Great. That's my hope. So thank you. Thank you again, Rosalinda, for sharing your story. As you all know, who have been listening to this podcast, we are dealing with a lot of similar symptoms and uh, maybe similar diagnoses and life circumstances across, you know, all of the stories we've been hearing. Some of the people who are coming on to share their stories are sharing a similar message, wanting you to know that you're not alone. Please share this as far and as wide as possible so that all new parents out there can understand what they're going through and feel heard and seen. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. 
No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.